0: This is your time to Lit Up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit Up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit Up is always family friendly, always good for your heart. Now here is your host to Lit Up, Angela Breidenbach.
1: Everybody, I am so glad you could be with me today. I have the pleasure and honor of interviewing and picking the brain of our expert guest, Grace Fox. Now, Grace lives in Canada and she has a wonderful book out called Moving from Fear to Freedom A Woman's Guide to Peace in Every Situation. Why are we interviewing Grace today? She is a nonfiction writer, she has an awesome handle on helping people gain confidence because of her experience. Grace is the author of eight books, including Moving from Fear to Freedom, A Woman's Guide to Peace in Every Situation. And she's a contributor to Guideposts, Morning with Jesus, the annual devotional. And she's also a sought-after speaker and career global worker who trains pastors and missionaries in Eastern Europe and other locations, including Nepal and the Middle East. So I thought she would be an amazing creative, to help us take a look at how do we deal with going from fear to freedom in our creative world and have an opportunity to get to know Grace and the work that she does. Welcome, Grace. Hi. I'm so glad to be able to speak with you today. Oh, it's really fun to have you. You know, and when you go internationally like this, you know, I just have to say Skype is one of my favorite tools.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. It really is amazing. I've been able to connect with women for my Bible study while well, I've been in uh, you know a little village in Romania or in Kathmandu Nepal. It it really is an amazing tool.
1: Do you have a favorite place or uh that you like to go, whether it's for ministry or because when you get there you just feel like the weight of the world drops off you because you're in that place. I mean you've traveled so
2: much. Huh. Yeah, I uh Boy, ministry-wise, I think one of the favorite places I have would be Poland. I don't know that the weight of the world drops off me though. That's what we're, we're, leading, we're leading short-term volunteer teams during those trips, and so then I'm carrying the weight. I feel like you know it's just the ministry that's involved with that and being responsible for people often who have never traveled overseas and they're like deer staring into the headlights. So feeling okay. responsible for them and for the ministry, but. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go out along the British Columbia coast. Uh, my brother-in-law is part owner of a fifty-foot sailboat, and he took—wow—he took us out, my husband and I, and um, a couple visiting us from Poland. And we spent about four four days and nights out there on the water, tucked into little teeny coves that. You just can't get to by car because you can't get them. They're inaccessible by car. And so it was wow. quiet. We saw the stars at night. We saw um, the phosphorescence in the water at night. It was amazing, absolutely quiet and still. And there, the weight of the world fell off my shoulders.
1: <laughs> wow. You know, our prayers are with Puerto Rico right now because of the, the hurricane and all of that. I had the chance to visit Puerto Rico with my family and saw a phosphorescent bay and got to swim in it and it was so amazing I can't even describe to the feelings of how that made you made you feel um made me feel like it was otherworldly and such yeah. a beautiful thing to look at you know the beauty that, that God created in the world around us. And there's so many countries that you get to visit uh, in your ministry that it made me really, really curious because there's there's just so many Americans that have not had the opportunity to do that kind of travel. And mm-hmm. I think it's just an amazing, enriching experience that gives you an opening into how we understand the world around us and how we talk to people. But there's a lot of people that are afraid to travel. How did you, did you start traveling really early, like right away?
2: My uh, first international trip was when I was in Bible college. And I just felt compelled to be involved in a summer ministry opportunity with a ministry called Greater Europe Mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were taking about 150 university-age students to work in Europe that summer. We actually had a chartered airline. and. Wow yeah that was that was a pretty good deal chartered airplane and after our training down in the states and so I went and spent ten weeks in Europe and spent the bulk of that in Belgium. That was my that was my first trip overseas and uh my first foray, i guess we would call it into third world countries would be Nepal. Mm-hmm. My husband and I were married only. So we were married in February, and by the end of July the same year. So married about five months. When when our feet touched down in Kathmandu, Nepal, he was wow. a civil engineer at the time, and he'd already been accepted with a Christian organization to go into Nepal and to help with a hydroelectric power project. When we met, and so we only knew each other six weeks when he asked me to marry him and go <laughs> to Nepal with him. <laughs> And, you know, my call to missions, I believe I received that when I was in grade six at a summer camp. And so mm-hmm. missions was nothing foreign to me. And I was in my, my long-term goal when I met my husband was was to eventually go into nursing to, and use nursing overseas. And um, but when I met him, he was already going. And and it just looked like the Lord brought us together. And it was either get married and go with him, or wait three years till he came back and then get married. But we both knew that he would come back a different person. And so we decided to go through all of that change that cross-cultural living in a third-world country would bring. We would do that together. And so we got married in February, and we were in Nepal by July. And we went through some very informal language trainings for a couple of months. And New Year's Eve was our first night in our own little mud and rock hut in a Nepalese village. Wow. Fear was huge for me at that point. I was... I I was scared of learning a new language. I was scared of having to live on faith support. I was scared of the snakes. I was scared of of being left alone if Jean had to go away for the night. I was scared of everything. And God just had to do a brain transplant in me. I would think it would be
1: absolutely terrifying. Here you are, a young girl. Uh, how old were you at the time? I was about 24. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> 24 and a new bride. And, uh, you know, I just have to ask, you don't have to answer, but, you know, were were you guys planning children at that
2: time? Well, we actually had two kids born while we were there on the field. And uh, so our son Matthew was born. The Mission Hospital was about a three-hour drive by vehicle away, and it was only 11 miles as the crow flies. But that's how windy the roads were out there. So about three hours' drive. So Matthew was born uh, a year to the day after we got there. (gasps) (laughs)
1: you really did go through quite a huge experience
2: oh we did let me tell you so then I was afraid for my son like I was afraid that he was going to get sick I'd afraid oh I was afraid of everything for him out there for my child's well-being it was massive and -hmm. then Stephanie or we actually have three children but Stephanie was our second and she was born uh she was born there as well but she was born with a medical condition called hydrocephalus which is too much water on the brain and she had other things going on as well. So within minutes of her birth, the doctors knew that we were done. Our, our mission career on the field in Nepal was done. and they so they told us you have to go back to North America as soon as you can on the first flight out. And so within wow. three days, uh, my husband took our daughter back to North America by himself because the airlines wouldn't let me travel. I'd had a cesarean section, so they said I was a medical high risk and they wouldn't let me on the plane. So it's
1: amazing though that that they let your baby on the plane. I had, uh, I used to live in Spain and my oldest son has a dual citizenship. He was grandfathered in when the laws changed, uh, because originally, uh, you had to naturalize them by their 18th birthday and right about the time that we needed to naturalize him to make him fully only a U.S. citizen, the law changed. So he holds a dual citizenship and, uh, so my, and my second son, I came home to the States to have him and they wouldn't let me fly till he was two weeks old. Yeah. So I, you know, three days old, that's amazing. They would let her fly, but I imagine they made an exception for her medical emergency.
2: Well, technically they didn't want her on the plane either, but mm-hmm. we knew and the doctors told us that she would probably die unless she got back to North America for the help that she needed because there were so many issues in her body. And so... Uh, my husband actually wrapped her up in a blanket and sent, we sent him home with a uh, one bottle of breast milk that mm-hmm. was between me and another young mom that was in Kathmandu at the time. We managed to express a bottle's worth and a diaper bag of anything that he might need and wrapped her up in a blanket. And the doctor said, don't tell anyone that she's only three days old because if, if they find out, they can put the plane down for that and she wow. will. Yep. And so, he he didn't tell anybody until he was on the flight from Tokyo to Seattle. And at that point, he told a, a flight attendant of the situation and she called a doctor on board and the doctor examined the baby and said she will make it to Seattle. And then there was a bed waiting for her in a Seattle hospital. Wow. So, Tacoma. Sorry, Tacoma Hospital. So, um, yeah, that that was that. So that experience absolutely changed my life. And I would
1: say that's a huge reason why you have been able to write a book, like Moving from Fear to Freedom, dealing with the kinds of fears that you were. Grace, before we go into break, tell us how people can find you online and learn more about you and your books.
2: Yeah. If they go to my website, it's easy. It's www.gracefox.com. And there's lots of information about me. They can sign up for my devotional blog that I post twice a week. Yeah, and information about my books is right there. So gracefox.com.
1: Thank you. And after we come back from break, we're going to learn where we can hear Grace speak coming up in the near future and how we can find her with the Christian Authors Network at com slash grace-fox. And she is going to be back with us helping you learn how to overcome your fears, so that you can do what God has called you to do with the giftings and the creativity that you have been blessed with. And my name is Angela Breidenbach, and you can find me at AngelaBreidenbach.com. That's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H.
0: Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this.
3: We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage naturespiritspeak.com If you need help with your journey why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on Toginet.com.
4: Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything.
0: We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach.
1: Well, I am glad to have Grace Fox with us. And if you are like me, you have been sitting on tenterhooks, biting your nails, waiting to hear the end of the story of the baby's survival. Um, Can we ask what your daughter's name is, or do you keep that private?
2: No, her name is Stephanie.
4: She's been married.
2: Stephanie got married 10 years ago. She is now 32 years old. Uh, When she came back as a baby, you know, three three days old, She had a really rough start. Uh, Two Mm -hmm. days after her return, doctors inserted a shunt into her head to drain the excess fluid from her brain down to her abdominal cavity. Um, So she started recovery. But uh, a few days later, I remember when a pediatric cardiologist came in and said, your daughter has a heart condition that is very rare. And babies that are this sick just don't get strong enough to undergo heart surgery. So we expect that she will die within a month.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And, uh, but, you know, two months later, she was still alive. They did some more tests on her heart. And the doctor stood there, looked at the, the test results, shook his head. And he said, I just don't understand it. There's no explanation for this. The problem with her heart is gone. I don't understand this. And, um, wow. was, but at 11 months, she got meningitis. And um, she was sick with that for a month and then just a few days after she was released from the hospital on that one she went straight into surgery to have what's called a dermoid cyst it was a little little teeny hole on the bridge of her nose where the where the germs entered and then traveled up a fatty tunnel into her brain and that's how she got meningitis so that surgery had been scheduled in december and in january she got meningitis and then the doctor said okay you know like the, the surgery was scheduled for March, actually, so like they set the date in December for March. Wow. she got sick in January, that carried into February, but they still went through with that major brain surgery at the beginning of March to get that funny that fatty tunnel out of there and um you know, she just went through a lot of stuff. she had eleven surgeries in two years. holy and, cow and but she's she's doing well still has some lingering effects, some neurological shakes you'd say maybe with her hands you know from Mm
4: -hmm.
2: from the things that she's been through but she teaches about 30 piano students and now she's actually teaching some esl students via facetime you know students that are in switzerland so she's wow some pretty phenomenal things
1: this is incredible and and once again we come back to you must have feared daily for her life for her health for her future
2: Oh yeah, and the the fear for her future wasn't just when she was teeny tiny, it, or whether or not she would live or die. I mean, I certainly went through all of that. But with every hospitalization, every surgery, we went through that. But even as she went on into junior high and high school, I'd see her struggle in different ways, and and I would fear for her future. And when she decided to go to Bible college in a in Alberta, she I knew she'd be at least. Oh, it was about 12, 14 hours away from home. And then I feared what happens if her shunt blocks while she's away and nobody identifies it as a shunt blockage. What's going to happen to her then? And so, yeah, I went through a lot of fear throughout her growing up years. So does she still have the
1: shunt that she had from her infancy? She does. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I thought it would they would take it out.
2: Oh, no. If it's if if it's working, they don't mess with it. So, and actually they are not even sure. Doctors aren't even sure that she's still using it, but Mm -hmm. because it's still functioning well for her, they don't, they just don't tangle with it. So it's there and it's there to stay unless it stops working and then they have to replace it. So she's, um, I think she's a a walking medical miracle. No kidding. That long. Typically.
1: Wow. I mean, this is not just a praise God moment, but it's it's all these millions of moments over her lifetime that yeah. this she is a miracle, but multi, multi, multi times, and and your fears just no wonder you wrote this book. I mean, well, a lot of women must feel similar fears.
2: You know, Angie. Before I wrote the book, I, and I didn't decide. Let me describe how this happened. I I didn't choose for myself to write this book. That's how I would put it. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had written a couple of devotionals already. And then this thought came into my head and it was to write a book about overcoming fear. And my first thought was, you're kidding me, I can't do that. I write devotionals. <laughs> They're short little bits, right? I how would I ever fill up a chapter book with? Back then, there was seventy thousand words. I could, I can't do that. And I argued with the Lord because I know that He was calling me to do this, but I said no for a full year because mm-hmm. I didn't think I could do it. And then finally, it, you know, kind of hit. I don't know what it was. It hit me on the head, but it was like, Grace, wake up! Do you realize what your excuse is? Your excuse is you don't think you can do this. What is that? That's the fear of inadequacy. Right.
1: And that's what a lot of creatives go through. They think I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this, you know, and then they, it's too big of a chore. It's too big of a job. How do I? Yeah, you get it.
2: It's, it's too big of a chore. And also I would think, well, what if I do land a contract for this, but then I can't fulfill it. And mm-hmm. what if I write something that my readers look at and they think it's just dumb, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Out the window goes my reputation as a person who can think. So uh, all (laughs) all of those thoughts went through my head. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I argued. But I so I, I ended up at the end of that year saying, "Okay, I surrender. I kind of waved that white flag and I said I give it because every time I sat down to do my quiet time with the Lord, it was like there was this wall between us and i knew exactly what it was so the moment i said okay i will do this that wall came down i had freedom i had joy i had peace again and so i said where do we go from here and um i did a survey with about 350 women ages 18 to 80 women i met at retreats and conferences and they um filled out a little form for me and told me their stories so from that, I collected the data and came up with, with uh, the top fears within that demographic of women.
1: Were they with, all very similar and the same, or were they widespread, lots of different fears?
2: Angie, you know what? I took the papers, and I, I laid them out on my living room floor, and they, they fell into piles. They were that similar. They, had, they were piles, so here they were. The fear of rejection and of facing the ghosts of our past. So basically, if other people knew what I've done or what's happened to me, they won't want to be with me. They won't want to be my friend. They won't love me anymore. So I won't go there. Mm. Um, The fear of inadequacy was huge. The fear of financial insecurity. Fear of growing old and the related health issues. The fear of the storms of life and of an unknown future. But this, the top fear by twice what mm-hmm. any other fear was, was the fear for our kids' well being.
1: Wow.
2: There were women who wrote down, I'm not even a mother yet, and I'm afraid to raise a child in the world as it looks today. There were women who said, I, I have little kids, we live in an apartment, and I am afraid daily that my child is gonna fall off the balcony. I'm afraid to let my child go to school. I'm afraid to let my child go off to college because I'm afraid he or she is going to make wrong choices. Mm-hmm. and the list just went on and on and on. I can
1: totally relate to that, and I think um I think men and women can relate to those fears because I think a lot of men on the flip side would be a fear that they cannot provide for their families, you know, and it's, it, for men, the way God made men, that's one of their driving forces is to protect and provide for their families. And yet as a mother, you know, that is a huge fear to protect and provide for my child. And yeah. So do we get the opportunity to explore with you how do you help people overcome these fears because i'm going to just spin this a little bit for creatives and that is the fear of rejection the fear of being inadequate the fear of financial resources and provision um the fear of we i did a show earlier and, um on lit up about the aging creative and uh, that was, or if people would like to listen to that, that's just a, a really nice um, show that explores those feelings and then helps you overcome them. Um, the, just the, the fear of the unknown when we put our quote-unquote baby out there. You know, uh, I would love, in the next segment when we come back, I would love to have you explore with us how to deal with those fears and what you did. Um, but now I understand you have some speaking opportunities that where people can come and maybe see you speak in the month of October. This show is being recorded and released for October 6, 2017, if you're listening in the future. So, Grace, can you just, in the next two minutes, tell us how people might be able to see you in, in October of 2017?
2: Sure. Uh October the 13th to the 15th, I'll be speaking at a women's weekend retreat at a place called Camp Quanos. That's Q-W-A-N-O-E-S. It's a, a lovely Baptist camp. It's actually on Vancouver Island in a place that is just so incredibly beautiful. So I'll be there that weekend. And then on the 19th, I'll be flying up north, northern B.C., And on the 20th, there's a a one-day event where I'm speaking three times to just an intimate group of women. Probably 30 women will come. And that's at a place called Ness Lake, N-E-S-S, Lake Bible Camp. And then on Friday evening begins a weekend-long women's retreat. So about 130 ladies will be there. So Friday night through Sunday the 22nd and uh, that's open if people want to come to that it's it'd be great it'd be great either of those events
1: so listeners we're going to put those on the uh show notes so that you can click the link and figure out how you can attend and i, I hope you can is your topic going to be moving from fear to freedom or another topic we've got 30 seconds
2: yeah another topic the one at Quanos will be on how to flourish how to Ooh, flourish in one. our lives and then that's the one-day event at Nestlake as well. I'm going to do the same material there. But then uh, the tw- uh, the weekend-long at Nestlake is going to be Chart Your Course. It's a navigational theme, kind of a fun theme, but how to do well in charting your course.
1: Oh, my goodness, I love it. Okay, so Nestlake, uh, is that the 19th or the 20th?
2: That one's the 20th. I actually fly on the 19th, but the 20th to the 22nd is at Nest Lake. Awesome. We'll be right
1: back after these messages.
0: Stay right where you are. There's more lit up right after this.
4: Have you heard?
3: We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show? Nature Spirit Speak. Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on Toginet.com.
0: We're glad you're back for more lit up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach.
1: Hi, and I'm so glad you all are back with us because we're going to get those tips that Grace has promised us. We've talked about the fears of rejection, inadequacy, financial issues, aging, storms of life, fear for our kids' well-being, and fear of the unknown. These are all things that really do hit everyone, no matter what your walk of life is. But as creatives, listening to Lit Up, I really want you to get some answers while you're here with us on the show today. So, Grace, um, can you take us into how do we move from fear to freedom in these different fears that you have listed?
2: Well, let's, let's think about as creatives first. So when we start thinking about a project or we feel like we're supposed to address a certain project, um, there's that fear of inadequacy. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I am I good enough? Do I know enough? Am I smart enough? Um, all of those things come into our heads. If, if we're really honest, most of us struggle with those things. And so I would say the first one is to acknowledge how we feel and tell somebody it's okay to admit that that's how we're feeling. Um, I would say if you have a good friend or your spouse or somebody to just say, wow, you know, I'm facing this project and I just don't feel adequate. And sometimes it feels good just to say it, just to get it out there and to to not try to hide it and, and make it look like we're super confident on the outside, right? We want to wear this face that, that makes everybody else think that we are, uh, we've got it all together. But inside, we're just trembling.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true. It's often that way. And I think with uh, acknowledging it, that gives us a way to cope with it and to find solutions to it. If we don't acknowledge it and we sweep it under the rug, you know, that's when we fight uh, because we're constantly trying to keep it hidden. Yes. Our energy goes in the wrong direction.
2: Well, yeah, we waste a lot of it on worry, don't we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was writing the Moving from Fear to Freedom book, I would walk for about two miles every morning for exercise and as a prayer time. Mm-hmm. And and I remember one day just, oh, like saying, God, I don't know about this. I, this is really scary for me. I I just don't know that I can do this. And it was like, again, he spoke to me and he said, he said, listen, you don't have to look at it as the whole book in one setting. You know, don't look at it as this cluster of thousands, tens of thousands of words you have to write down. No wonder it's overwhelming. Just Just sit down in front of your computer today and and think about what is going to come from your time in front of that computer today. Mm -hmm. And and it changed my way of thinking and looking at it. So it, it totally took the intimidation factor out. So every day then I would sit in front of the computer and I would say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to write today? And even though I may have had have my list of anecdotes that I wanted to address or quotes that I was going to use or scriptures that I was going to develop, I, I had all that. But inevitably, a phone call would come or an email would pop in or something would happen, would come my way with a different quote that was more appropriate or a different anecdote that I didn't even know about until the phone rang and somebody was wanting to talk to me. It happened it happened over and over and over again. It was like the book took on a life of its own. And, uh, yeah, I think just that thinking that switch in my thinking patterns from I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. This is such a big project to what do I need to write today?
1: I agree. I, I wrote gems of wisdom, the treasure of experience, uh, because so often people would say to me, um, you know you're so confident you're you're so together you're so this but like you said inside i wasn't feeling that way so what i started to do was break down the project into small bites and do that and if i needed to learn something else i'd learn that next thing just that next thing mm-hmm. and instead of focusing on this massive overview of the problem I Could take those little mini bites, and you gain confidence and courage as you take one step forward. And it, exactly you, right. right, and you gain fear when you turn your back on it or you sidestep the issue, yeah, because you're giving into that fear. And so, I really addressed more the confidence angle and the courage angle um, by. Moving forward one step at a time and just learning or focusing on what you needed, just like you, for that day. So, yeah. What other tips do you have?
2: I I think for the creatives, another thought to help squelch that fear of inadequacy is to, to understand that we can only do our best with what we know at the time. Because we're going to continue growing and developing as people and as writers. Our skill will grow over time. But if we wait until we think we're good enough, we'll probably never write a thing. Right. So so to to maybe align our thinking, again, to change up our thinking from, oh, I don't know enough to do this, to I'm going to do the best I know, well, the best I can with what I know right now. Mm-hmm. And then, and then take that and put the first, you know, take the first step, put the foot in front of the other and start moving.
1: I think one of the things people deal with is that perfectionistic attitude. Yes. Um, and it is very tightly linked to inadequacy. And it's like if I'm not perfect, I'm not acceptable to others, to the market, to the industry. People will laugh at me. And then we start to think that leads us into rejection. Um, One of the things I think really helped me with the idea of rejection, with the fear of rejection, was that I had been in sales before. I wasn't in sales because I wanted to be in sales. I was in sales because of fearing that I needed to provide for my children. So I was motivated by, you know, making sure my kids' well-being was taken care of. And I took the job that I felt would help me learn to build the most income for my family at the time. And in sales, you learn that that each no is one step closer to a yes. And you change your thinking like that. And I think having been in sales... Really, really helped me. And people are so terrified of sales. Oh, I don't want to be a seller. I don't want to. I just don't want to be a sleazy salesman. Blah blah blah. But so much of our world economy really has to do with sales. Whether you're selling yourself, whether you're presenting a product, you know, uh, in any type of position, in any type of business, you have to get out there and say, "This is what it is." And do you want this product? If you don't want all these different products, then, you know, that's pretty unusual because you have to buy something as simple as toilet paper or milk or, you know, soap. And so when you start realizing that those things are also sold and then you choose to understand that. It is one person needs it today, but they don't need it tomorrow. They already have it on their shelf. That's fine. They're not rejecting you personally. They just don't have a need for it immediately. And so when I started to learn that aspect of sales, I started to see the yeses would come if I would just keep asking. And so one of the things that my agent said that she liked about working with me was that I uh, she had never seen me cry over a rejection. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was because God had given me the job of being a saleswoman for radio, for print, for you know a whole bunch of different um, places as of through the years before I became a writer. Now, the writing was already in my DNA. Um, that was an amazing part of the gifting that I feel like God gave me. I love being a writer, but understanding that the fear of rejection was simply no, is just simply one more step toward the yes. And the yes may look different than what I thought. So it could be that they're going to buy a whole bunch. It could be they're going to buy one little thing. It could be they say no, because you're being directed to another um, path. But I learned not to be afraid of rejection while doing sales. And I think that was one of the best gifts that God could have given me.
2: I think one one lesson that I've learned along the way too is that nothing can thwart God's purposes. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And if he's called you to write and you do the best with what you know at the time, then he will honor your efforts. And... Um, My this book, Moving from Fear to Freedom, was out two years when I heard um, via the grapevine that it was going to be discontinued. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, oh, how's that? Oh, you know, my baby, my baby's going to die. All the hopes that I'd had for this book and for the important message in it um, just kind of died. And mm-hmm. I got that word when I was coming home. I had just come home from a string of speaking events across the country. So I was on jet lag. I was exhausted. Then I, I got this word and I just, I cried. I called a lady who was also a writer who, who knew what rejection was about. And um, she prayed with me on the phone and asked for God to show me the next step. The mm-hmm. next day, the next day I sat on my couch, I did my quiet time. And I said, Father, if you have called me to write, I will write. If you've called me to you know, pursue this, that's fine. But if you want me to do something else with my time and my giftedness and my energies at this point, I'm ready. But just show me today. I'm desperate. You want me to keep writing, you show me today. Five hours later, the phone rang, and a stranger, a stranger from Vancouver, B.C., called me. She said, I've never done this to an author before, but I just felt compelled that I, I needed to call you today and tell you that Your book has changed my life. So thank you for writing it. And and for some other reason, I just feel like I'm supposed to say to you, please keep writing. Wow. So I sat there. Look at how God works. Well, I tell you, it was like the confirmation to keep writing was there. And if the rejections came, so be it. You know, you just, that's not my thing. It just keep going, keep going Mm -hmm. because nothing would thwart God's purposes. And that book did not die. I ended up, partnering with Stonecroft Ministries to develop a DVD-based Bible study and workbook and now probably thousands of small groups have used it and it's changed that many lives, but nothing can thwart God's purposes I think that's
1: amazing and if you'd like to learn more about moving from fear to freedom you can find more on gracefox.com and you can also follow her on Facebook at gracefox.author and she's also on Twitter at l Fox, and we will be back right after this message.
0: Stay right where you are. There's more lit up right after this.
3: Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on TokiNet.com. Live la bella vita. Check out her website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live la bella vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on togynet.com.
4: Have you heard?
0: We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach.
1: This has been such a great show, and we have one more section that we get to talk with Grace Fox about overcoming our fears as creatives. And one of the fears that I'd like her to address is a fear of failure. And uh, so, Grace, would you give us just a few more tips on overcoming those fears and talk a little bit about that?
2: Mm -hmm. The fear of failure or rejection or inadequacy, all of those things can paralyze us. They can really stop us from as creatives from pursuing that that's on our heart because because we wait until we feel we're good enough or we know enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know those fears can paralyze us and so how to overcome them so we can put that one foot in front of the other and start moving is is really to uh one understand well i would say to stay away from the comparison trap like we we can so easily fall into that comparison trap where we look at other creatives and we say wow look what she did or wow look Mm -hmm. what he did and Oh man, look at how many book sales they have, or look how many speaking engagements they have. And the moment we start comparing our journey to someone else's, it just—I say—it just sucks the joy right out of us, and it just breeds nothing but discouragement. And again, it—it's like it fuels that fear of failure. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. And why even go on with this? And but I hear you. Um, you know, so many will struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I, I. I think rooted in the root of all of this stuff that we're addressing today, that fear of inadequacy, fear of rejection, fear of failure, would be that maybe ultimately do you think we're a little bit insecure? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've i begun to address that in my own life. If I were to look, so I started writing professionally in 1999. Oh, and, so did I. You know, I've had a good run.
1: I, I didn't know that about you. <laughs>
2: I went to my first writer's conference and I worked up enough courage, you know, got over the fear of rejection and started submitting magazine articles and it just took off. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't struggle and struggle and struggle to write like so many I hear and my heart just goes out. Now I'm in that place, but I wasn't at the outset. So um, it's
1: fascinating that it is almost a reverse for you then because uh, I stated, I started writing youth group um, programs and submitting to group magazine. And that, and the fact that they actually accepted uh, one of them, <laughs> oh yeah, blew me away. And then they paid me for it. Yes, <laughs> I was like, what? And so that—that's how I started in 1999.
2: Yeah. I started writing for Power for Living Sunny School paper, and I—I I, I became the Canadian correspondent. I was a Canadian correspondent for Power for Living for ten years. Got to interview dozens and dozens and dozens of amazing people. or People who had healed from incredible tragedy. And, oh, my goodness, what a run that was. I just loved doing that. But it was I think a, it's, it's a, really
1: fascinating, though, that when you do that kind of a thing, number one, you're not focusing on yourself. You're focusing on the other person's story. Yeah. And so I think it's a great way to start. Um, you're focusing on what you can teach others. And it's the same thing when we're speaking because you speak and I speak and a lot of creatives, um, maybe they want to be speakers, but they're afraid to get up on a stage and do that. But when you're focusing on what you are doing for someone else, the gift that you're giving them and you're not focused on how you look and whether they're going to boo you off the stage. (laughs)
2: Well, that- see, Angie, you're just going right back to that fear of rejection again, which is mm-hmm. bang on. So you know, in, in my initial speaking days, I never sought it. I've never sought it. I have my website up, but it's most word of mouth is how I get my gigs.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm content with that because I lead a very busy life with the international travel. So I'm, I'm good with that. But in the early days, I was... So scared to get up, like my knees were knocking, my hands were shaking, and mm-hmm. oh, my stomach was just knotted, knotted when I get up on the stage. You know why? It's it's because I was focused on me, and oh, I I dare not fail. I hope people think well of me. I hope mm-hmm. I do a good job because if they don't like me, they won't ask me back, and and the word of mouth that spreads is not going to be good. So that's how I would think that mm-hmm. that's what it was rooted in. Really, that's what I see now that I'm down the road this far. Now. Two years ago, I had a little encounter with the Lord on my deck. And I said, you know what? Like I was trying to prepare for some speaking teaching that I was supposed to do in Egypt. And to me, it was like the heavens were brass. I was asking, Lord, what is it you want me to teach these missionaries in training in Egypt? Like, what do I know that I can teach these young people? What do you want me to tell them? And I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear. I couldn't discern what it was. So I just sat out on the deck one day and I said, you know what, Lord? If there's sin in my life, point it out. If there's self-centeredness, get rid of it. If there's pride, get it out of there. There's no room. I'm, I'm too old for this anymore. You know what? I'm done mucking around. Father, you just take and rid me of anything that grieves your heart, that I can be a clean vessel, and you can just pour yourself out through me with writing and speaking. And that began two years of a really hard walk, really, mm. really hard, but a lot of healing. And I think I can say today as I, and I'm leaving just as soon as we're off this, this recording to go to another speaking engagement this weekend where I'll speak five times, I think. I, I can say now it's not about me. It is so not about me. And I don't have to put on airs. I don't have to try to impress. I can just get up and share the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do because it's about him and I'm only the tool. And I think. That's so
1: true. The most uh, joy that I get out of speaking is not because I'm the one up there on stage, yeah. but because I see the, you know, with the light on me, but it's because I see the light in the eyes of people who yeah. are growing or learning or catching what it is that they're supposed to out of that talk. Yeah. It's it's a transference of light from me to the light that's that's dawning in them and my goodness, is that the most
2: amazing experience and, to and see it, that happen? It is when the lights come on in other people's eyes. You know you've connected. You know that you've imparted something that's life-transforming. And I think the freedom that comes is comes from understanding where our identity lies. As creatives, mm-hmm. we get caught up. The fear is there. The fear comes when we don't understand that our identity is not in how many books we write or how many articles we sell uh, or how many speaking engagements we have in our calendar. That's not our identity. That's not the basis of it. We are loved and we are valued. God loves us and values us. We are his children. No matter how many sales we have, it, it, you know, all he's asking us to do is be faithful to be faithful. And if we're faithful doing what he's asked us to do, doing the best we can with what we know at the time, that's all we need to do and and let him look after some of the details and yeah, our identity is not in what we do it's in whose we are.
1: I love that. I love that. If you had anything you could tie us all up for us today, uh what would you
2: say? I would say to. Mm, let's see, to really understand the identity and all that, to be in the word, to be in the word on a daily basis, put that first, writing and speaking should never come before time with the Lord, and root, be rooted and grounded in Christ, and out of that, just invite him to, to pour out life transforming messages out of you, to, to an audience that needs to hear those messages. And Keep being, first things first, and don't be afraid
1: of writing that message down. Just do it. And it, for me, it was uh, starting to share those ideas also um, with people I trusted. You know, there's there's a lot of people whose families are not supportive or whose whose friends laugh at them. So you know, joining organizations of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason we go to church is not because God said, you've got to go to a building. It's because he puts us in worship with him, with like-minded people. It's community. And I think it's very difficult to do these things all by yourself. I mean, yes, there's those that do it. But I think there is something about community and linking arms with others to achieve a goal. Yes. I think it's really important. And I think that if if you want to belong to an organization that's close to you, that you can meet other people and walk in and find out that it is normal to be a creative. It is normal to be you because that's how God made you to be. (laughs) I mean, I get told all the time. I don't know if you get told this all the time, but I do get told all the time. How did you think of that? You just think differently. And sometimes they use words like, that's weird. That's unusual or, you know, and that starts to scare you because you think, Oh my gosh, I'm not normal. And the reality is nobody's normal. Everybody has their uniqueness.
0: And if you
2: weren't
1: (laughs) right and you need to be unique with your voice, your voice in, in writing and in creativity and in expression is the personality that you, um, that you put out there in the words that you choose versus someone else. So I think it's, um, important to embrace your uniqueness because how you think and how you word that or how you create that is exactly the way it's supposed to be because God made you that way. And then and be open. Yeah,
2: I would say to do it afraid. You know, go to a writer's conference, do it afraid. Go Join a group like Christian Authors Network. Do it afraid. Uh, you know, submit a book proposal. Hey, do it afraid. Write and s- submit a magazine article or a query. Do it afraid. Do it afraid. It's all good. The one, the one thing I would say that's important about that
1: is make sure that you read the guidelines. That yes. is the easiest way to get a nonsense rejection or to not be accepted into a particular organization or whatever because you didn't read the guidelines. Does it fit the guidelines of that organization or that publisher? We only have one minute left, Grace. How can we find you and um, where are you going to be next?
2: All right. Come by my website, gracefox.com. You can email me to Grace. At GraceFox.com, and I do respond to every email that I get. Um, you can see me speak or come and join me at Kwanos Camp on Vancouver Island um, in October. Angie's going to post those links and Nest Lake Bible Camp in October as well, the 20th to the 22nd, that weekend, I believe. Women's, Those are women's events. Yeah, Yeah, I'm
1: so excited you've been with us today, Grace. Thank you so much. GraceFox.com. This is Angela Breidenbach at AngelaBreidenbach.com. And you can find me on any social media at Ange Breidenbach, A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And we will see you next time. And be blessed. Go forward. You were meant to do your creativity.
0: Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up will be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you? Right here on Lit Up.